Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. So, Mark, I got a question for everybody out there and for you, too, because I'm kind of curious. You know, what is pornography? Um, This is something that I get asked in my office probably almost every day. And it's one of those topics, I think, that is often discussed but rarely understood. And uh, I thought it would be good to take some time today and and to talk about that with you and with our viewers. And, and, uh, you know, all you listening out there uh, as we go through this, be thinking about, and we'd love to hear from you on this, uh, what, uh, what is pornography to you? Uh, Mark and I, we've done a lot of research on this. We're, we're therapists, but we also have done a lot of our own, uh, what would you call it, Mark? Experiential research? I guess you could, <laughs> in, I guess in, you could call it that, yeah. Into, into being, being caught up in a, a lot of pornography um, in the past. And uh, so, yeah, we just, uh, we're going to kind of address that today. So, Mark, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I mean, when you think of, you know, the definition of pornography, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, the tendency in our culture is to try to put some sort of, you know, motion picture association rating on it, you know, if, depending on what something's rated, then that says whether it's appropriate or not, or we can, we can put religious, you know, religious filters on it. And that's how we judge what is pornographic and what isn't. But for me, it's all about meaning, you know, in the brain, meaning is everything. And so if you think of your brain, you know, it's this three and a half pound piece of cottage cheese between your ears. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really just a database of information. It's all the stuff that's happened to you or me over a lifetime. And it's this, it's this database and everything we see or experience through all of our senses is fed through that database in order for the brain then come to come up with an interpretation. The brain is always asking, what does this mean? Right? It's always, always searching for what that context is. And that's going to depend on the, the individual experience of each one of us. 
right? I, lo I love the saying, change, change the things you see and the things you see change. Yeah. And you yeah. probably, you probably had an experience like me. You can be in a, in an identical location experiencing the very same thing as the people around you. Let's say it's a concert or a family gathering or a sporting event. And then later you're talking about it and everybody has a different vantage point about what happened. And you yep. think to yourself, uh, were you at the same event as me? What are you talking about? <laughs> that isn't what happened at all. You're thinking, how could everyone have a different experience if they were all there at this very same place? All the time. Yeah. And so it's all based on meaning. And the other thing I think is very important here is what we call your intention. Hmm. What are you intending? Right? What's your agenda? And to me, meaning and intention have everything to do whether with whether something is pornographic or not. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit for a second about some of our experiences with that. Because I know we talked about stuff back when we were kids where something that you would assume isn't sexual at all. And suddenly because of the context and the meaning and the intention I have and my experience with it, something that's completely non-sexual suddenly becomes pornographic. Like, yep. how is that possible? Mm, yeah. Right. And I know you mentioned something about JC Penny catalogs or ads. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, you know, my addiction has, there are a couple of key things that, uh, you know, kind of define my, my getting into porn, quote unquote, if you will, uh, growing up. And the most probably iconic example that I, uh, I, I included in our book, the pornography paradox was, uh, you know, as a, as a 12 year old kid following my dad's death, I, I, uh, I was in this really sexually curious place and wasn't coping well with emotions that I had. And, you know, this is going to totally date me, but, but back then I, uh, back when people used to actually get a newspaper in the mail, I know for some that might just be like a foreign concept, but we used to get the paper every, every day of the week. And every Sunday there would be this massive, you know, set of ads that would come out. And there were these dang JC Penny women's underwear ads that would be included in those. And I distinctly remember as a 12 year old uh, taking those ads and hoarding them away and, and looking at them. I wasn't even tied up into other forms of acting out yet, but, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say I was in, into addiction, but, but for me, as I, as you know, as time went on and progressed, I, I totally agree with you. For me, those JC Penny ads still rank if not the top, one of the most triggering, uh, one of the most uh, influential pieces of pornography that I, that I ever, ever saw and, uh, and, and, and had a huge, a huge impact on me. Well, and, a lot, and I also, that was one of the big things for me. I, I probably date myself even, even a little bit more <laughs> because I go back to the, the, the Sears catalogs. Oh, yeah. I used to actually order stuff out of catalogs. <laughs> or Montgomery Wards, you know, where I grew up in LA. And uh, same thing, women's lingerie, women's, women's underwear would, could, would be very erotic, you know, and, and indeed yeah. very pornographic. But one of the ones that was very telling for me was when the National Geographic edition would show up. Oh, yes. That would have, you know, natives, yeah. either from Africa or tribes from the Amazon. And of course, it would show, you know, the women would would be... Uh, without clothing. And yeah. so those, you know, those naked bodies would become very pornographic for me. 
Mm-hmm. And so things that shouldn't, that really were never intended to be sexual, were never intended to be arousing because of the meaning they had and the interpretation I put on them through experience, those actually became pornographic. Yeah. So it'd be any, you know, anything can be, can be turned into that category of arousing and erotic, just depending on the way you interpret it and the meaning that you put on it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love what you're saying about intentions because I, I, I would completely agree with you. I mean, I, as a kid, I used to, you know, like many of the clients that come into my office and I don't know if you were the same way, but you know, as a kid, we would, we would, I would kind of try to break down, you know, what was quote unquote hardcore porn or versus softcore porn or how bad was this depending on how much skin was showing or which body parts or, you know, and then the list was just kind of endless that way. And uh, for, for me, that never uh, really held water because of very much what you're describing, this intentions piece. It really had a lot less to do uh, with, with, with what I was seeing and more to do with, with my intention behind it, right? If I'm in a, we'll talk more about this later, but if I'm in a kind of a lust-based mentality, right? What am I seeking? And that takes me to kind of the other point that comes to mind, which is the impact. So we've got these two components, right? That make up a good definition of pornography. The first is, is this, you know, what are your intentions behind it? What are you looking for? What are you trying to seek? What are you trying to get out of it? And then the second one that I would say is that, uh, you know, pornography has a lot less to do with what's being taken in and more to do with the impact it's having on oneself, um, which goes along very much with the intentional piece. Um, if I had seen those uh, underwear ads, right? For example, you know, on just a, as someone who was not in the headspace of one, that huge height of sexual curiosity, but also looking for, for a new way to cope with just overwhelming emotions and feelings and everything. Um, and if I was in a m- more mature place, like I am now, when I see those sorts of ads, they're just that, right? They're just, they're ads. But back then it was incredibly intoxicating because I, what my intention was, looking for some sort of escape. It was to, to, to numb out. And the impact it was having on me was taking me out of reality. It's taking me out of reality and putting me into this, into this fantasy place. Um, and, and obviously tied in with a lot of other components. Um, so maybe a good place to go from here is, you know, what are the, you know, if we were to break this down a little bit more, what are the different components of, uh, I guess the attributes you could say of, of pornography for, for everybody listening, you know, how do you spot it? How do you identify it uh, as that first step to uh, to dealing with it? Yeah. Well, and I, th- for me, I think there we have to immediately talk about this thing that we call objectification, right? Mm. And pretty simply, it's it, do you see parts, or you just see, or do you see people? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you see do you see human beings as whole? You know, whole human beings. Or are you looking for pieces of those human beings, right? Body parts. Like we look at our Western culture and there's this big obsession, you know, about female breasts or, you know, an obsession with different other parts of the body. And that's a great way to identify if something's pornographic to you is, you know, whether you're breaking people down into things or seeing holistic, you know, human beings. And we both, you know, we both talked about a lot of, stories during our addiction days where that was very prevalent, right? You talked about, you know, walking into a crowded room and what would happen, you know, Mm -hmm. talk about that for a sec. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I remember as a as a you know kid, as my addiction progressed, and then in my teenage and even early adult years, uh, my my addiction became very troubling. Uh, as many of us find out, when you know, for those who get pulled into a true addiction, be it this or another, uh, as they as the saying goes, initially you feel like you're working your addiction, but sooner or later your addiction is just working you. And that's very much what started to happen to me. Um, fantasy or, or escaping or of this objectification you're talking about stopped being more of a voluntary thing and started to become almost automatic. Um, I would walk into uh, situations that were not sexual by any means. And I'd walk into the room and my brain, I would start automatically just undressing all the women in the room uh, without even meaning to. Um, and having really disturbing images, you know, of picturing myself being sexual with these people, you know, instantly going to that place of fantasy and lust. When again, I'm not even seeking that in that environment, but um, it became very, uh, it became a very automatic process where I could, I almost couldn't even shut it off. It would just happen without even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes this, you know, this concept of something something to be consumed versus something to be valued, mm -hmm. right? You walk into a room and you're looking to consume, you know, the people around you to, you, I like to say you immediately begin sizing them up. Yes. Putting them in categories, right? Who's attractive, who's not attractive, right? Looking for the, the different aspects that by experience you've come to be most, you know, aroused by and your brain's immediately looking for those certain characteristics. And mm -hmm. what I found is that you actually become blind to the other people, you know, that don't fit those characteristics. It's almost like you just skip right over them looking for those specific, you know, body parts or what have you. And that's a, that's a big sign of this consumption versus truly valuing everyone as people. Absolutely. Well, and, and if we kind of get real here for a minute, I know that's one of the things that we we, we do here, we pride ourselves in. Um, for those who are listening to this, I, I want to be delicate here, but but be real. Uh, for anybody who's had experience with with pornography, accessing it, using it, especially on a frequent basis, if you if you were to go to any typical pornography site, right, this is this is kind of exemplified in its ultimate form. You know, any virtually any pornography site out there now includes limitless, literally limitless um, categories, right? For every genre ranging from fetishes to body positions to anything in between. And, and it literally is just endless. And it's that, uh, that which speaks to that whole escape component. But the other part that I, 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 I have noticed in the past when, when accessing those types of sites um, is that I'm not there. If you, if you if you examine like a typical piece of pornography, that virtually has nothing to do with the people being portrayed, right? There's usually some sort if if anything, there's some sort of brief setting or scenario set up, and it immediately moves into the sexual act or sexual acts or or what, whatever other content there is. The focus is on the sex. It's on the bodies. It's on the people, not as people, but as objects, right? And how out there can it be? How new? How novel? how enticing that side of it is while completely stripping away the whole dynamic of the relationship. I think we talked about this in episode one, but the allure of porn among other things is that it offers all of the positives of a committed relationship on a physical level with none of the work. 
with none of the the other things that make up the people in the relationship or the relationship itself. It hasn't it doesn't address anything with regard to the the baggage that people bring into a relationship with the issues that they face. It it doesn't address the little things that couples do to drive each other crazy right on a connected level if you know my my wife has told me before if i leave that toilet seat down one more time when i go to the bathroom she's gonna you know have my head it doesn't address those day-to-day interactions and everything that makes up a relationship and focuses exclusively on that on that sexual act so it's, it's the ultimate form of what you're talking about right it's the ultimate form of this objectification it is all about the body parts we don't in fact they uh if you look at any of those movies that stripping away effect that you talked about is so prevalent. You will never see on any porn site, you know, here are the reasons why this woman chose to take this lifestyle, right? You'll never see addressed why, why would this actor find themselves himself or herself debasing themselves or denigrating themselves on camera for people that they don't even see what takes a person to that, to that place that every person uh, that's depicted in those images and those videos in other forms of pornography. Those are real people. But when you look at the pornography industry and how it works, it is completely focused on and determined to strip away any of that. Yeah, you'll never see on a pornography site, you know, here's here's what this person is pursuing with regard to their college education. Or yep. here's their family. Here are pictures of here's pictures of this woman when she was a little girl, you know, with her parents and her siblings and you know, all, all the things that she was, you know, involved with in her growing up life. You never see anything about the biography of these people because that's a distraction from what the brain's really, really seeking, Yep. which is just certain parts to arouse and, and numb out and get to a certain place. I don't want to know about all those other things, right? So it's easier to basically treat the person as, as a thing rather than as a holistic human being. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. One of the things with regard to if something is pornographic is does it connect you with others or does it disconnect you with mm. them? Yeah. Like, do you truly feel one with them as a holistic person or are you just connecting, you know, via their body parts, you know, or positions? That's yeah. a big sign. And we've talked about how disconnecting pornography or sexual addiction can be. You know, for me, I, th- I think back, for example, uh, during, you know, my, my heavy addiction years, I still tried to have a date night with my wife every week, right? Every Friday mm-hmm. night, we'd go out on a date. And the whole purpose was to keep our marriage growing and to keep us close, you know, in the busyness of life. So we'd be at a restaurant and there we are face to face in this, you know, intimate situation where you're going to connect. And what am I doing? Well, I'm scanning. I'm scanning that mm. restaurant. And I'm, I'm, again, looking at body parts, looking at things and, you know, as part of the fantasy and the addiction, and I'm not connecting with my wife. That was, that was the great irony of the whole thing. We've come there to connect and I'm completely disconnected. 
mm-hmm. not present with her, not focused on her, right? Just looking, scanning the room and turning that normal, natural place into a pornography site, if you will. Mm, sure. and the restaurant becomes a pornography site because you're undressing people, you're checking people out, you're sizing people up. And so that's, that's what pornography does. That's what a sexual addiction does. It even, it even creates things and objects in places where it's, it's just a normal, natural setting, but you're in a different place. And you're not even connected to the person that's right there in front of you. And we'll talk more about how that affects spouses in a later podcast, right? Where they can sense that and see that. They see your eyes diverting. They see that you're not there with them. So this whole disconnection from people part is one of the most difficult things with regard to to porn and sex addiction. Absolutely. Yeah, as as you're talking about that story with your wife, I mean, I can think back just on countless examples, both with clients as well as from my own my own life where similar things would happen. Um, and it really, I mean, honestly, being on the back end now, and I think I felt this when I was kind of caught in the thick of things in, in addiction back, back during those years. But as I look back on it now, it really is infuriating to me, honestly, because one of the most frustrating things about pornography is that it robs you of those real experiences. I think back to how many dates that I had with my wife where I wasn't really present. Um, and it and it extends way beyond that, right? This objectification component is so much bigger than just even the sexual piece. For most of the guys that I work with, this bleeds into the non-sexual realm, right? This objectification component. When you start objectifying in one area of life, it becomes progressively more difficult to not objectify in other areas. And this is a discussion, a bigger discussion for another day. But when I look at, you know, for me, I and I know I've told you this before, but for me, I've been doing recovery a long time. And I've kind of developed some early warning systems, if you will, to know if I'm ever getting off track. And one of the biggest ones for me is if I start finding myself uh, getting pulled into road rage. (laughs) Now, most people might think, you know, what in the world would road rage have to do with, you know, potentially getting into an addiction mindset? Well, for me, it's that objectification component. The reality is, is all these people on the road that I'm with, right? They all have lives. They have places that they need to be. And they're no more or less important than what I need. In fact, maybe they even have stuff going on that's more important. But when I get cut off by some guy on the freeway and I get in that objectifying headspace, I'm not taking into account, maybe he didn't see me, maybe he's in a hurry, maybe there's an emergency he's trying to get to. What do I think? I think that jackass is in my way. And if he and everybody else would just get out of my way and I could get where I needed to go, then life would be great. So if all these cars would just part like the Red Sea and Steve's (laughs) needs would be met, then we'd be fine. And so for me, I've learned, like I said, having done this for years, that when that objectification mindset shows up in one area of life, if I don't curb that or work on that immediately, it's very easy for that to blend into other areas of life. So it's a pretty global concept. Yeah, it, it, it spills over into all of our relationships in yes. this concept of connected or disconnected. And the other thing that I've noticed about, you know, trying to discern when am I getting into a place where things are pornographic or, you know, where I'm using people as objects or, you know, body parts is also this concept of it being emotionally isolating, mm-hmm. right? Where you start, not only do you get disconnected from others, but you start to get disconnected from yourself start to get disconnected from God. And 
it's this emotional aspect that starts to seal you off, even from your own feelings. Yes. Even from feeling like you have, like you have a spiritual connection. And I know you had a story about that when you were a kid serving on a, you know, a, a religious youth council, a seminary council, and kind of that, that paradox that you experienced back then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, my, I, I love what you're saying about this emotionally isolating, uh, disconnecting from self and God component. If I was to, I mean, I, I definitely disconnected from others as well, especially in the early stages of my addiction. But there was almost, there was just as much, if not more, of that with self and God as there was with other people. Um, I was really, really angry with God after my dad passed away. And I was raised in a culture, not a not a religion, but a culture that really frowned on being having those kinds of feelings. And that kind of religious culture married really well with this addiction because it allowed me to emotionally isolate and to disconnect from from God who I had a real problem with. And I got really good at living progressively more so in that disconnected place. Uh, like you mentioned, I served on a seminary council as a young man in high school. I was, I was voted most likely by my high school, uh, my high school class to become a seminary teacher, <laughs> of all things. And I was actively engaged in my addiction um, at the time. So on the outside, I was playing this role, right? I was playing this part, and I was this clean-cut guy who was getting ready to serve a religious mission in a couple of years. And I did have a lot of things going for me, but brewing underneath the surface was just this absolute disconnection with God and, and an absolute just unawareness of, of how I, uh, of, of being in tune with myself. I, I was miserable and I was angry, but I was so busy running from the reasons why that I never really addressed it, which only caused my addiction to just metastasize over the years um, because that same God and self-disconnection uh, eventually bled into my marriage with my wife um, into other relationships that I had and kind of came to a head, which gratefully was what brought me to recovery. But, but yeah, that, uh, was a very, uh, a very powerful in a negative way, uh, experience for me is just this whole notion of, and I'm sure our listeners can relate to this too, is, and I just want to ask you guys, have you ever felt like you're not living in your own skin? That's how I felt. I felt like I wasn't living in my own skin. I wasn't being me. It was almost like I was, in many respects, I felt some days like I was, <laughs> I was almost living in a black and white movie, if you will, like more observing what was going on in my life as opposed to living it. Um, I was, again, saying and doing all the, checking all the boxes that I was supposed to. And, and, there, and it's not to say that I didn't have good times in there too, but so much of that was, so much of that time, rather than being connected with, again, my wife with friends, with family, was spent with anger and resentment and, uh, you know, rage seeping under the surface for that, for everybody and for myself. And uh, what a tragedy that uh, we who get caught up in this, you know, we, we really do, we are both robbed and rob ourselves uh, of those connecting, those connecting components uh, to life. And there are lots of ways that that happens, but I, you know, out of all of the forms of disconnection on an emotional, spiritual level that I can think of. I can't think of one that disconnects you quicker, faster, or more significantly than pornography. Not a single one. Yeah. And for me, it was, I didn't want to feel 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I growing up, yeah. I had a I had a difficult situation at home. Uh, being a teenager was was awkward and and brought a lot of trauma with it for me. And so you didn't want to feel. And here comes this uh, pornography and and sex addiction which is it not only objectifies others, turns them into pieces and parts, but I found mm-hmm. that it turned me into pieces and parts. Yes. A guy without emotions. I didn't have to deal with my stress or my embarrassment or my social awkwardness or when any of, of those feelings would surface up, I would immediately object, begin to objectify me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm not a real human being with real feelings. I'm going to avoid and numb out all of that. And I'm just going to go into this place of, of pieces and parts. I'm going to check out their pieces and parts. I'm going to be all about pieces and parts. No emotions, no feelings. They don't have feelings. I don't have feelings. Mm. Nobody has feelings. Yeah. And it just, be, it just becomes this, everything is being objectified. And it was a place of escape, which we'll talk about in later podcasts about why we do that and what triggers us to do that. But I just became completely disconnected from everything emotional or deep feeling towards others, myself, towards God. And it just became this downward spiral, you know? So if we, so if we kind of shift from that for a minute, you know, what is the solution for, for people? You know, as we look back on our experience and we look at others who are experiencing those very things right now, how do you, how do you break out of this place of pornography, you know, sexualization, turning things into objects, yourself and others? What, how do you start making steps into a different place? It's a great question. And I know we do a lot of this, obviously, in our offices. The first thing that I'm going to say, and you'll hear me say this and Mark say this more than once, is please do consider getting in with some sort of a qualified therapist or professional. Uh, we are dealing with really difficult topics and issues, and there's a lot of difficult, powerful emotions tied up in these things. I think I've said it before, but I have never in my experience seen a sane person put everything from their marriage, their relationship, their job, their career, their self-worth, anything else on the line, unless accessing material like pornography or getting pulled into an addictive component with the pornography or other forms of acting out. I've never seen a guy get pulled into that unless he is, unless it is doing something big for him. And so when we start working on this stuff, it's really important to have somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, helping you with that journey. Um, as far as, uh, as something that you can begin to try to trying your own, lots of tools that are available for this that we talk about in my office. But um, what we'll go ahead and do here is just build on that mindfulness journal journaling that we covered in episode one, in our last episode. Uh, if you remember, uh, mindfulness is is essentially, uh, you know, what am I feeling and why am I feeling it? And the whole goal of last week's uh, tool that we gave was to become to is to start to become more in tune with what you're feeling on a daily basis. And what impact either your feelings are having on your actions or your actions are having on your feelings or vice versa. So we can kind of start mapping out, you know, where, what, what different, different uh, pieces of your environment play a role in, in, in that side of things. So we want to kind of build on that here today uh, with that mindfulness journaling. In addition to the stuff we covered last week, uh, we'd recommend that you start going, going ahead and you uh, start journaling about uh, times in which you were pulled into fantasy or into a lust-based place uh, on a given day. Um, We'll talk more about lust another day and specifically what that is, but uh, times where you were sexually triggered or pulled into that place specifically of wanting to to isolate, uh, to withdraw, 
to escape or to numb out, you know, with, with some sort of fantasy or, or numbing. Um, what impact uh, did going to that place of fantasy have on you being present with real life? Um, how did it pull you out of your real life? What did it deprive you of that day? How might you have done the day differently if you hadn't been, hadn't been uh, tied up with, with uh, lust or in fantasy? Were there opportunities that you missed out on, things that uh, didn't happen uh, because of that? Uh, and then overall, just looking back on the day, uh, get honest with yourself and just say, you know, were you more connected or isolated with real people as a result? Um, as you look back on the day and, you know, if, if you were, if you found yourself pulled into fantasy multiple times that day, had a hard time getting out, as you look back, how present were you really with the people you were with? How present were you in the situations that you were with? Were you, uh, were you driving the car mentally and manual, so to speak, or were you on cruise control? Because I think a lot of us who struggle with, with pornography on some level, addiction or not, live in a state of cruise control. It's that place of, again, that numbing fantasy uh, takes over, takes the wheel. And, and we don't have, like you said, we don't have to think and feel. So I think that would be a really good place for, for everybody to begin. And then we can kind of build on that from, from there. Yeah, we get, we get so in the automatic behavior of sexualizing people, ourselves, you know, objectifying going into public spaces and starting to, you know, scan and, and, uh, you know, check people out that we don't even realize we're doing it. I mean, it's, this is years or decades of habit in our lives. And so I think this journaling process of sitting down at the end of the day and just doing an inventory. Okay. Let me think back on the day. How often did I start to objectify and fantasize about people? How, how often did I go into that place of disconnecting where I treated people and myself like objects? Mm. So becoming more aware of it, when I'm doing it, what environments I'm in when I'm doing it, just that mindfulness piece where I start to pay attention, that by itself is a really powerful first step on the recovery path. We have to become aware of it and look at, step back and look at it before we can start to do anything about it. So I think the mindfulness journaling part, just doing a, a review of my day and kind of a fantasy log, you know, when, when and where and with whom did I start to go to those sexual thoughts? And uh, I remember when I did that years ago, I was surprised. I was like, wow, that is happening a lot more than I realized. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's, it was kind of, uh, it was a little bit of a wake-up call. And at first I was in denial. <laughs> oh, well, that was a bad day. I don't do that all the time, Right. And as I started to log it and really write about it, I started to realize that this was a really big prevalent part of my life. And that was part of my motivation to start doing something about it. I'm like, wow, this, I'm more than this. This isn't me really. It's taking up that much mind space and keeping me from connecting with people and enjoying life and really having deep relationships. This, this thing's more disruptive than I realized. And so having a, having a record of that and reviewing it is a really important step. Awesome. No, I love it. Uh, thanks for everybody for joining us today. Next week, we're going to start, uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit and start talking about the impact that addiction has, not just on you, like we've been covering these last couple of episodes, but on those close to you, specifically spouses. So that's something to kind of look at next week. We'll be talking more to spouses and, and uh, the impact that it has on them. And both giving you you guys who are struggling or, or gals who are struggling with this some insight in what, what they're dealing with, what they're going through, and uh, everything kind of tied up with that. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, 
The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.